2: From Blue Wire Studios today, so you're ready for the August premiere.
3: Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills.
2: Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win it overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olson touchdown. Brian Burns to the house. This one is Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater, throw into the end zone. Touchdown! Samuel, still on his feet, inside the five, to the end zone. Touchdown! What a play! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the
0: end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three! He pounded it!
2: All right, welcome back. Another edition of the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire. Hey, it's your friend John Ellis. Hope you're doing well today. Billy Marshall and I are doing a little something different today. We're going to look back at some of the prior episodes we've had here on the Roar. We've uh, been eight episodes deep now. Wanted to take a look back at some of the guests we've had and their insights. Starting with Mark Schofield. Uh, he's done some great work over there in terms of some of the coverage with the Patriots, but also the stuff on the touchdown wire. And he gave us a good glimpse inside of Carolina's new look offense with Joe Brady. Teddy Bridgewater. We also talked to Warren Sharp, who is of SharpFootballAnalysis.com, one of the great analytics minds in the game. And then Cody Alexander from MatchQuarters.com, who is a former Baylor assistant, told us a little bit about Phil Snow, what to expect defensively. So we'll start with Mark Schofield right here on the Best of the Roar podcast.
4: Yeah, Billy, he's been sort of a faceted and I'd, I'd say in a sense test test case and case study you know for how the quarterback evaluation process has developed over time some of the sort of catchphrases that we still hear about you know quarterbacks that might be viewed as more athletic guys and it overshadows and overlooks what they can do with their mind you know i, I think bridgewater is a quarterback that. You know, especially now, but even when he was at Louisville and he was going through his draft process, I think a lot of people overlooked what he could do with his mind, what he could do in the mental aspects of playing the position. You know, I think where he is now, he's in a sense almost, I don't want to say a perfect fit for what we expect this offense to look like, but pretty close to ideal. You know, when he was pressed into action last year, when, you know, when Drew Brees went down with his thumb injury, a lot of people said, look, we're expecting four or five games, you know, maybe they can just go 500 with him they went 5 and up oh, and he played smart careful football you know checked the ball down when he needed to took what the defense was giving him didn't force throws a ton which shows you his maturation as a quarterback but also shows you you know the wisdom that he plays the position with the intelligence that he brings to the position. And now we're expecting this Panthers offense to look very similar, if not almost identical to what he was running in new Orleans, given Joe Brady's ties to the saints and given what Joe Burrow was running last year with LSU, obviously Joe Brady is going to bring that playbook. It's an offense. that's going to be sort of a, Mesh of air raid West Coast concepts, quick game stuff with Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, you want to get running backs involved in the passing game with some of the receivers, D.J. Moore, Curtis Samuel. You're going to have some of those quick option type routes that are going to be very similar to what he was running in New Orleans, very similar to what Joe Brady had for Joe Burrow. And then added Robbie Anderson, I think now you have sort of that vertical threat, which is something that I think teams want to have because otherwise, if you're not stressing the defense downfield teams can collapse on everything underneath and take that stuff away and so i think this is a this was a solid move by carolina if you know john and i actually talked about this the other day on my show when he was nice enough to come on if they were making the decision to move in a different direction and move into this type of offense looking around the sort of free agent draft landscape short of getting up to one and drafting joe burrow teddy bridgewater was probably one of the better options to run joe brady's offense and so You put this all together, I think it's an ideal marriage of sort of quarterback, system, offense, playbook, offensive coordinator. I'm very excited in a sense to see this pan out. I think there's a potential path here where Bridgewater does well enough and shows that he can run this offense. And this team maybe overachieves a bit where the idea of tanking for Trevor or folding for Fields or laying down for Lance is taken off the table because – you can be a productive offense and efficient offense with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm.
2: Thanks for joining us again. Mark Schofield is our guest today. It's John and Billy, and we are the Roar on the Blue Wire Network here. I got a question to follow up on that with Bridgewater, and then we'll move on to a couple other topics to wrap up here. What I had seen on tape from Teddy last year was a guy who was very disciplined within a structure. So you're talking about a lot of six, seven, even eight-man protections at times. Sean did a good job of – giving him some comfort back there. He wasn't asked to spread the field a lot and go vertical on these things. But when he was asked to do that, there's a situation in the game last year where they're at home against Tampa. They're leading by seven. There's a minute 55 in the third quarter. Third and 10, they're backed up at their own nine. He makes a beautiful throw on the corner route to Thomas uh, from the opposite hash. And those are little things I noticed on tape that in four or five of these games, you know, he wasn't lighting the world up with his arm. But when he was asked to make the key throws, What impressed me was his ability to look through his reads in the pocket, to stay patient, to not tuck and run and and play out of structure. That's what I like from Teddy. I'm curious to get your thoughts, though, on the offense in general, the Joe Brady influence in terms of the Sean Payton experience. Do you feel they will use a few of these concepts Sean uses in the past, 21-22 personnel, beefing it up? You know, Payton loves to run the ball. That's something not a lot of folks talk about his best seasons as a coach, even 2009, they were more of a running team than a throwing team. Do you see Brady getting to that, or do you see this being maybe a 70% passing team?
4: You know, I I think, and it's often an overused phrase, that idea of balance from an offense, right? And when people think, when people hear that phrase, they often think, oh, they're going to want to try to have a 50-50 split run-pass ratio. I think the new balance in today's NFL is a blend between trying to be the 12-21 type personnel team that we're seeing franchises like the San Francisco 49ers, for example, who ran more 21 personnel than anyone in the league last year, but they threw it so effectively out of 21 because of the the fact they were throwing against base defenses. We're seeing play action pass and become a cheat code for so many teams. You know, Minnesota, for example, with what they're doing often out of 12 personnel with Kyle Rudolph and Herb Smith, and now you're going to see Kevin Stefanski bring that type of offense to Cleveland. They go out and they get Austin Hooper to pair him with David Njoku. They might be a 12 personnel team. So I think you're going to want to see some of that. You know, you're going to want to see some 12 or even some 21 personnel looks. Look, you've got Armagh the fullback, so you could still have some 21 personnel packages put together. You could do some, you know, if you're comfortable maybe with a sort of pseudo 12 personnel group with armar and uh, ian thomas you could do something like that or just keep it more of a 21 look you're going to want to do some of those designs those personnel packages where you're using play action and throwing out of base throwing out of heavier looks to throw against base defenses but let's not forget joe brady's coming from a a season where lsu last year i think they ran five man protection on something like 70 or almost 80 percent of their passing plays you know, they did not ask their running backs and tight ends to do much in terms of stay and help with pass protection. They were a five-man, spread it out, throw it out of, you know, five-man protections. They're going to want to do some of that as well. And so I think that's the the balance that they'll be looking for, trying to, you know, show some run game stuff, but really as a way to set up the throw it out of 12 and 21. But I think they're also going to want to be that sort of five-man protection team, spread it out a bit, You know, get those favorable matchups. You know, let's not forget this is a matchup based league. You know, when you have Christian McCaffrey and you have the possibility to get him isolated on safeties or maybe even linebackers at times, especially if you're coming out, you're lined up in 12 or 21 and then you put him out wide. Well, what do you do as a defense to respond to that? You know, they're going to want to take advantage of those opportunities. And so they're going to find ways to get themselves some favorable matchups and then exploit them. Throwing out a 12 and 21 is one. Doing some five-man protection stuff is another way. This is a matchup-based league, and they've got some players to create favorable matchups with.
1: And and I want to speak a little more on the skill talent and how you can see. I know you kind of mentioned it just now, but at LSU, I mean, obviously they had such an advantage with their skill talent compared to – their peers in the sec. I guess Alabama is the other only other team that comes to mind, but what did they do schematically that, that you think could be transferred over into the NFL? Because I, personally, I don't see Joe Brady, you know, pl- you know, I- implementing all these five man protections like he's going to do in the NFL. That's just my opinion, uh, especially Carolina's offense line is, you know, it, it's better, but it's still not at the level where you can implement that type of uh, scheme on a consistent basis. So what do you see as far as Brady's transition into the NFL at a coordinating level?
4: Yeah, and I, I think you're right, given the concerns about the offensive line. I certainly don't think they're going to be going five man 70 or 80 percent of the time. You know, I, I think they're going to have to do more than just that. I think from a conceptual basis. One of the things that stood out studying Burrow last year and studying this LSU offense was the number of outs he gave the quarterback on a given play. And it certainly helps when you had somebody with the pocket presence you Burrow had with the ability to extend plays. But there were so many layered designs to that offense where, you know, you've got multi-level reads to both sides of the field. You've got an answer for the blitz. You've got an answer for zone. You've got an answer for man. You know, and obviously these are things that, Joe Brady himself picked up from learning under Sean Payton, you know, and I, I'm a firm believer in as many outs as you can give your quarterback on a given play, the more successful he is going to be in the long run. Because, you know, if you look back at say some old Steve Spurrier playbooks, you know, you'll see some plays like Mills, for example, which, you know, post dig in that playbook. There was a notation cover two, get out of it like we just don't have an answer for cover two nowadays you know that's a rarity you want to have an answer for everything you know on a given design even if it's just throwing your hot read you know you want to have that in there for the quarterback and that's one of the things that brady's offense has done so well and so when now bridgewater is stepping in and maybe like you you alluded to you don't have the sort of talent that you could just win one-on-one matchups all over the place but you have enough where you if you have a particular look on a play you know okay i'm getting quarters i can throw here you know, I'm getting buzz I can throw here, you know, that's certainly going to help Teddy Bridgewater and Brady's offense has been able to do that, you know, in what we've been able to study from it last year at LSU. So even though they won't have athletes that can win one-on-one across the board, they'll have answers for what defense is going to show them and they'll be able to give Bridgewater best looks based off of that.
2: Last question here for you, Mark, breakout player for the Carolina Panthers in 2020. If there is a season, who you got?
4: (sighs) I mean, there's a number of ways you can go with this. I mean, we've been talking offense a lot. Um, I would throw into this mix Jeremy Chen um, mostly for the – I loved him you know, watching him at the Senior Bowl. He really sort of flashed at the Senior Bowl last year. And I think in today's NFL, you want to have that sort of hybrid-type player at the third level at the safety spot – You know that you can match up against a tight end with on first down that you can have play as a half field or even a single high safety on second down and maybe you can bring down into the box and blitz off the edge on third and long. I mean, and he's a player that can do that. He showed the athleticism, the football intelligence, and the ability to dominate at his level of football that you want to see from a player coming from that level of football. And so I think Jeremy Chin is certainly somebody to keep in mind. We're seeing more and more teams go to the sort of hybrid type safety look. Derwin James comes to mind. Jamal Adams comes to mind. New England Patriots drafted the Division II safety. Um, Kyle Duggar from Leno Ryan sort of that same type of hybrid player that's what you might need in today's nfl given all the things we've talked about given teams that will be in 12 personnel looks then 21 personnel looks and then 11 personnel looks all in the same series maybe even the same three you know three sequential plays and so you have to have a safety that can sort of hold up to that so i think chin's a player to watch offensively again i'm intrigued by the idea of robbie anderson you know, Anderson is, I think, somebody that is underrated in today's NFL. I think he's a tremendous vertical threat. We anticipate this being more of a West Coast air raid type of offense with more horizontal attacks to it than vertical shot plays. But you need that in the offense. And he's probably the guy they will look to in those moments. And so on the offensive side of the ball player, I'm very excited to watch is Robbie Anderson in this offense, because I think Joe Brady's going to scheme some stuff for him, some shot plays, a lot of offenses, a lot of playbooks have it. You know, that shot play section where they say up front, we want to take four or five of these a game. You have to do this. You know, Brady's going to want to take those shot plays. Matt is going to want to see those shot plays executed. And Teddy Bridgewater has the arm and the touch in the downfield passing game.
2: All right, that was Mark Schofield of TouchdownWire.com. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us as always. And now a look at the analytics side of the game with Warren Sharp. Yeah, and you're speaking of this offense, Joe Brady, who worked under Sean Payton there for a little bit of time in New Orleans, brings some interesting concepts here to Carolina. Of course, the five-man protection stuff he ran as the pass game coordinator at LSU was fascinating to watch. But I go back to his time in New Orleans, and Sean Payton has been consistent about one thing over the years, and that's the ability, when needed, to pound the football with power. 21 personnel, 22 personnel— 12 personnel, Carolina does have some of the personnel fits for that. So with Christian McCaffrey in play, give us a sense of Joe Brady's offense, not only from a passing perspective, but maybe some of the Sean Payton influence in the run game. Absolutely.
3: I hope he does. Um, I hope he does it more than what we anticipate right now, because look, the way that my general philosophy on offense, and I talk to coaches about this is, The only way that you're not going to beat the defense, uh, generally speaking, there's only two ways you're not going to beat the defense because of the rules construct that exists right now in the NFL and the advantages that are given to offenses. Number one, you just have a terrible quarterback and terrible offensive line. And you're just completely outmatched compared to the talent on the other side of the football. Or number two, you're being too predictable. Anytime that you can be unpredictable, that's the goal offensively. The way that you stay unpredictable is you avoid predictable situations. Number one, you can't be predictable from a personnel grouping perspective. You can't be predictable from, well, if this guy's on the field, you know, this particular passing tight ends on the field, we're going to pass about 85% of the time. You know, those types of things are just terrible to have that level of predictability with your exact personnel out on the field. And then it's just avoiding the situations that might be most likely to uh, be pass situations. So those would be like, you know, third down and obvious pass um, or having too strong a tendencies on like what you're doing on second and 10, for example, things like that, where the defense can pick up tendencies. But when you stick a fullback out on the field, two things happen. Number one, you could be very dynamic with your play calling because you can actually move this guy around a little bit. And if the guy can catch some passes, which is the key vital uh, vital element of this, if he can catch some passes, be utilized as a weapon in the passing game as well. We're not talking about, you know, him being as, as uh, beneficial as, you know, uh, for example, a Curtis Samuel, but somebody who's able to get a mismatch on a defensive player and, take advantage of that, you know, the times that he needs to. That's a big queen on the chessboard move. That's a big move that you're going to be able to stay unpredictable. Um, And so I think that element there of being unpredictable is a massive edge for uh, fullbacks out on the field. Um, and then the other factor to having fullbacks out there is you can take advantage of the fact that defenses generally are getting a little bit lighter and quicker. You know, if you're playing a lot of five man uh, you got five guys spread out and the defenses have to get into some lighter personnel groupings. Um, then you can rotate on to packages that have the fullback. And suddenly this defense is going to be in conflict. Um, you know, they're going to have that. you might be able to catch them with lighter protections. Then you have a guy like a fullback out there. And we've seen across the league, a lot of the teams that are having success in the NFL are teams that are using fullbacks more frequently. And the Saints were one of those teams that use fullbacks at an extremely high rate, that have done so for several years, that have made the playoffs consistently um and like you said joe brady comes from that school of thought he has experience with that philosophy and if you guys already have a good fullback down there then i think he's going to hopefully take advantage of that at a rate that's going to keep defenses guessing um and give a big advantage to the panthers offense
1: yeah and that's a lot of what we're hoping for another thing that Uh, gives us some optimism at least as far as the Panthers is the skill talent and I know you write wrote here you do a lot of fantasy work as well what do you what's your overall impression of the skill talent? because Samuel he obviously offers something but uh, we felt that he was kind of held back by Kyle Allen last year with a lot of the throws that were just way off target and then Robbie Anderson's always been a pretty intriguing player he has experience with Teddy Bridgewater Uh, and then you know, controversially, they paid Christian McCaffrey, which, you know, he is a running back, but we know he can do a lot more. Um, So what's your entire take on the skill talent currently in Carolina?
3: Well, I think, look, you guys have the ability to be very dynamic. I think that you guys have the ability with the types of receivers that you have, and especially when you throw Christian McCaffrey into that mix um, of Really giving the quarterback a lot of levels to look at. You know, on route concepts, you have guys that are going to be able to win quick and short. You have guys that are going to be able to win deep. You guys, you have guys that are going to be able to win across the middle of the field. Um, So you check a lot of those boxes. I think you've got a very dynamic group of receiving talent there. Um, It's just a matter of execution. And, you know, I wrote in the book, but Kyle Allen was actually really good executing on first down, well above average in some of the uh, like yards per attempt and EPA and some of the other uh, success rate metrics um, that we utilize in the NFL right now from an analytics perspective, but he fell off much more so on second down and third down in situations where the defense could predict that it was going to be a pass a little bit more often, everything across the board started to fall apart for him. Um, and this was a case where I think he was coached up really well early on uh, in terms of like first downs, first quarter, second quarters of games, but you get into like the second half of games, you get into second quarter, down, third down, those situations where uh, the defense could predict things a little bit more, or he was having to change things up on the fly and it wasn't as pre-programmed for him, what he was doing, he was not nearly as good. So I think that you guys with Bridgewater and with a system that is tailored to Bridgewater's strengths, and I think he's going to, uh, I don't know that excel in, because we haven't seen it yet, but I think he's going to be effective in this offense. Um, I think that you guys have the requisite talent there to be able to keep defenses guessing and keep them honest with what you're doing, especially with McCaffrey out there as dynamic as he can be, whether you know the defense maybe won't know if it's a run play or if it's going to be a pass play. Are we going to target McCaffrey? Are they, are they using heavy personnel? Are they using, you know, lighter personnel spreading things out? Like there's a lot of things I think you can do with this unit. Nobody's going to confuse this unit with like, the best offensive receiving core in the NFL. Like, but they are, in my opinion, no worse than average. I think this, this unit here uh, is dynamic. I'm interested to see how Robbie Anderson looks away from Adam Gase in the New York jets offense, uh, because we know the quarterback situation, the offensive line situation, there hasn't been an ideal, but also I'm not a big Adam Gase fan. So I'm interested to see how he fits in with this offense at Joe Brady.
1: Yeah. And just speaking on that from a bigger, more macro perspective here, your forecast has Carolina at five and a half wins, which kind of seems in line with a lot of different sports books. How are you coming to that conclusion? Is it like, because it is a new coaching staff, a lot of new uh, personnel, what goes into a lot of your key metrics when you come up with the forecast and what do you see for this team? I mean, I know you just alluded to a little bit of it, but wins and losses, what do you kind of see, for, envision for this team in the 2020 season?
3: Well, it's difficult because your schedule clearly um, is not easy. You're going to play a top 10 difficulty uh, strength of schedule overall. Uh, you're going offensive side of the football, defensive side of the football. Um, you, you're dealing with a lot of good run defenses this upcoming season, so you may not be able to lean as heavily onto the run game as perhaps you know, like a new coach might like to do with a quarterback that he hasn't worked with before um, in in this system. Uh, but I think that this is a team that has upside. And although the sports books do have a relatively low win total, I and mean, clearly this division is, is ridiculous, Teddy Bridgewater has been like kryptonite to sports books and to people that want to fade him. Um, he has led his team when you're talking about betting on NFL, you're talking about covering the spread. His spread record is 31 and nine. That's a 78% record when he has played in, the, in games and attempted at least one pass. That's absolutely absurd. Uh, since 2014, wow. uh, obviously we know that he filled in for Drew Brees, went 6 0 straight up and against the spread. Um, back, back in his last full season as starter, we have to go back to 2015. He went 14 3 against the spread with North Turner and the Minnesota Vikings. That's an 82% cover rate. He was 11 6 straight up. And on every single team that Bridgewater has played on and started games for, they've gone over their projected win total. He's a perfect 4 and 0 in seasons his team has exceeded their projected win total. So, he's not like Cam, he's not super flashy, but he's been a proven winner and clearly he gets consistently underestimated by sports books and line makers who are setting lines on his team, who are setting lines on uh, whether it's you know in game or it's overall what this team is going to do. So, if you're asking me if this was a normal off season and we didn't have this pandemic, and the Panthers were able to work with one another all off season, and they were able to play four preseason games and really get a chance to evaluate the full, Roster to pick the best guys to make this squad, get enough practice time in this new system and and you were presenting me with five or five and a half wins as their win total, I would take the over. even though the schedule's tough, even though um, there's a lot of things working against them, I would still take the over. The problem is this confusing off season, the lack of time that they have to work together, the lack of preseason games, you know it's it's just going to be difficult to get me on board of wanting to take the over on a team that I know has a difficult schedule. And it's so much change on the roster. But I, I think what I'm trying to say, bottom line is I expect this team to be a little bit more competitive than other people probably do but I'm worried about the off-season of uncertainty and of lack of practice.
2: All right, Warren Sharp from SharpFootballAnalysis.com. Great guest as always. Last guest here, Cody Alexander from MatchQuarters.com. Breaks down the defense a little bit right here on the Best of the Roar.
1: What can you tell me about the type of defense that they were able to install the last three years? Because if you just look at their bottom line production, it has been a gradual improvement year after year after year. In 2019, I thought Baylor had one of the best defenses in the nation period. And doing it in a in a conference where you have all these explosive offenses, even more impressive. So can you just discuss the gradual process and improvement that you saw with the defense that Phil Snow is able to implement?
5: Yeah, I, the one big thing that that rule brought that maybe wasn't there when I was there under Bryles was just, you know, Bryles is an offensive guy. He's a, he's a player's coach. It was a little bit, you know, a a little bit looser. And I thought rule came in and kind of put everybody, was kind of, and he had to, everybody was a little bit more in line, everybody, you know, this is who we are, the aggressive stuff, you know, he's the one that was doing a bowl in the ring before pregame and things like that. I know that was, went around uh, Twitter a few times and was on, on ESPN, I think. But I thought they, fundamentals and discipline and really kind of the things that you hear a lot of high school coaches talk about, that's kind of what he was about and they started out running their their three four cover one and cover three stuff and like coaches that have done that before in the Big 12 Manny Diaz uh, is is one that comes to mind um, it, you just kind of and Charlie Strong is another one it, it, you just when you come in and you start doing that you're going to get exposed and They needed to make a change. Their numbers were bad. Their defensively, they were the worst that that pair rule and snow have been the first two years they were there. And then they decided to make a wholesale change and and turn that three, four and match their personnel a little bit better and turn it in really to a a three, three, five, Mm -hmm. which is what they ended up running that last year. Uh, And I felt what they did, I thought it was really smart. They took two corners and they that could play safety and they put them on the hash. And so they were able to really control the seams, which is one of the weaknesses in cover three, but they were really able to, to really cover the seams pretty well because they could man up and they could place a man and, and it allowed them to be really aggressive up front uh, and be a, be disruptors. And I thought, you know, what they did in the decision to change, they had talked about it because I know that cause I went and visited in 2017 And they were talking about making a change. And so, or 2018 going that spring going into 2018. And so then I'm watching 2018 thinking, okay, they're going to start doing it with the three high 50 and they really didn't. And it was really that wholesale change in the spring of 19 that really got them to where they, where they were uh, last year.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, And one thing I want to get into specifically, and I know it could be a little difficult for some people to comprehend, but I think you're doing a pretty good job of staying, uh, making it easy to kind of comprehend a lot of the technique and coverages. But I want to go into the what, what Baylor uses, a 505 front in most of their alignments. Am I correct? Yes. So, I mean, I'm just reading one of your past articles. You say that the backers essentially have to hug the box. But what type of coverages do you have to implement you know, within that?
5: You can run, really, you can run almost any coverage because you're going to have a a six-man box regardless. It's just going to look a little different than tradition because of where that middle safety is playing. So if you think about it, okay, we want to run quarters. What you're doing is you're taking your regular three, four, you're taking one of the inside backers and you're just going to turn him into a safety and stack him 10 yards behind the box. And so what you're doing is instead of having a traditional Mike and will in thirties, which means that they're on the outside shoulder of the guard, mm-hmm. you're moving the mic into a zero and you're taking that Will linebacker and you're making him a safety and you're going to line him up and he's going to relate to the number three receiver. So if you think about it that way, the offense can only send five people out at any given time. So that's how you figure out where number three is. So number three is always the midpoint of the coverage. So if I count from sideline in, I can find three, if three is in the backfield, then I'm going to line up near him. And so what you're doing is by, like you said, the five Oh five, imagine a vice and you're vicing everything down because those DNs are literally crashing into everything. You've got a big nose in the middle that's trying to occupy the A-gap. And now what you have is outside linebackers on the edge and a mic that can basically has the umbrella in the middle. And he can rock either way. And then you have the extra benefit of having a person behind him that's not technically in the box that can now be what I call a cap fit. And he can he can come from the top down and fit on top of things. So it makes it really hard for offenses to run the zone offense because it's like a I, it's like a vice. You're squeezing everything and everything has to bounce outside.
1: Let's get into another area that um, you and I have discussed in the past, and that relates to some of the inverted coverages that yep. go into this defense. Can you, what can you describe about that?
5: So there's really a lot of people talk about inverted Tampa two. Um, and it's kind of one of those controversial things where you either kind of like it or you don't. Um, and really all it is, is it's a different way of making it look like a a, a cut. Co- you're playing cover two technically, um, but it really is going to function more or less like a cover three. So you're out, your, your corners are going to, what I call overlap. They're going to overlap on top of number two and your hash safeties are going to rally to the flat right now. So they're going to dart into the flat right now. And that, what that does is that allows your, your overhangs or the linebackers near the box, they just need to control the seam. So they're just going to work back vertically. Now, the middle safety, normally in a regular Tampa 2, if you go back and you think of like, okay, late 90s, early 2000, Brian Urlacher running down the middle of the field like a safety, Right. Well, instead Mm -hmm. of doing that, you're just going to sit him in the middle and then he's just going to control the middle of the hat from hash to hash. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to funnel everything into the middle by overlapping the corners and you're creating this big funnel that goes into the middle of the field. So normally when you're playing a cover two, you don't want them to throw into the middle of the field, but because of the structure, you're trying to funnel everything to that middle safety, uh, by just alignment. And what you're doing is you're, you're making that you're forcing them to throw outside or into the middle where it's compressed. Now the issue with it is like any other cover three concept is that the seams are going to be exposed there. Um, especially if that corner can't overlap. And you see that all the time in cover three, the, the seam, the same player doesn't carry two and the corner can't overlap in time. And you can kind of get a hole shot there. Um, that's one that you normally see. Uh, you see the others on the reverse side of that. You get to see the others where the corners cutting. Like Iowa State plays the corners really aggressive, and they'll, they'll run from sideline all the way in, and sometimes even make the play near the near the, the line of scrimmage. And that's that's a true Tampa look, or what what a lot of teams call double roll. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other one that you see just in terms of inversion is you take the half safeties and you give the illusion that you're running this like five, this um, what I call umbrella coverage. So you've got the five DBs back. And then at the snap of the ball, those guys hammer down into the slot and uh, in, in the seam. And you basically get what's like an, uh, what I call three invert because you're inverting those guys down right now to the seam. And so that's usually what you see. Other variations that you might see is like what I call three cloud, which are rolling to one side. And so you're playing like a cover two concept one side and then everybody's just kind of rolling. So those are kind of the the different ways. And that's why people like this is because you can be so multiple yet not really uh, have to teach a lot of different things.
2: All right, I want to get your thoughts on the draft here, Cody, specifically Carolina's all-defensive draft. Of course, Derek Brown, the interior defensive force, goes in the first round to Carolina. Not a big surprise there. Some felt Simmons would be the guy, but uh, Brown obviously was on their radar. But I'm fascinated by the secondary and how they're building it through the draft here. What was your impression of how they drafted, and how do you see some of those pieces working?
5: Yeah, I think what you're going to see is probably what – I don't think that you're going to see the three, three, five or the, the odd stack in the NFL as a, as a base defense yet. I don't, I don't think that we're there yet. And I don't think that that's something that snow and rule would probably like to do. I do think that you're going to see more or less of a hybrid three, four, you're going to see guys kind of move around into different spots as they learn different roles I think year one I wouldn't expect a lot of things I mean if you go even back and look at what he was doing at temple and then what they did their first couple of years at Baylor very vanilla very traditional three four now do I think that they're gonna run um, will they they're just gonna throw away everything they did at Baylor no I don't I don't think so i but I do think that you're gonna see a little bit more hybrid hybrid guys guys maybe playing. Um, in different spots that you normally don't see as they try and kind of figure out what everybody can do
2: now defensively as a whole here what do you anticipate from carolina in 2020 and even 2021 obviously a new coordinator with phil snow from baylor comes to carolina you're a baylor guy tell us what to expect from phil snow in year one here
5: yeah, I think, you know, the one thing that you will notice, and I, and I think that was the one thing that I noticed is just defensively, just, they're not going, you're not going to beat because it's fundamental, like you're not fundamentally sound. I, th- I think that's one thing, like I guarantee a rule going to have, you know, you talk about some of the coaches in the NFL don't really hit during the week and others do. I think rules going to be one of those guys that they're going to hit during the week. You know, tackling is going to be a focus for them. I think, uh, you know, you're going to see more or less more sound, not as exotic, but they're going to be more sound. Um, And and that's one of the issues you kind of highlighted from the three, four is if you can't get interior control, then those guards just kind of have free reign and it's really hard. And I, you know, even a guy like Keekly, who's a future hall of famer, it's hard for those guys. If you have a guard in your face all the time to make plays. And I think what the, you know, Mm -hmm. Probably try and do is, is, you know, try and get a little bit more interior control and maybe do some things to manipulate so that your linebackers aren't always, in, you know, one on one with the guards.
2: Guys, thanks for joining us. We have another best stuff coming up with Jordan Rodriguez and Nick Carboni. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere where podcasts are found. We look forward to it. Thank you so much for your support. Billy Marshall, John Ellis, right here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network.
0: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G.